And I'm trying to stay back to, in 1988. <laughs> Amen. Amen. It's good to see everyone here. God is good. I thank my pastor. Believe it or not, I thank you for asking me to do this. <laughs> Amen. Uh, to the First Lady and all of you today. Praise and worship was just wonderful, wasn't it? The Lord wants us to be more involved with him outside of praise and worship. He wants an intimate, daily, moment-by-moment relationship with his children. With his children. Uh, While Pastor was singing, um, the song came to mind, Lord, whatever you're doing in this season, don't do it without me. Don't do it without me. And sometimes, I don't know about you, but I go kicking and screaming. But I learned a long time ago I better go. But I've got to get rid of that kicking and screaming. We've got to get rid of the kicking and screaming and do as thus saith the Lord. Amen? Amen. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this opportunity to share your word, dear Lord, with your saints, dear Lord. Father, just help me, dear Lord, to decrease myself and allow you to flow freely in this place today. Holy Spirit, have your way. Open ears, open hearts, open minds, dear Lord, to receive what you have to tell each one individually in this message, Lord. I thank you for what you're going to do, Lord. I've already thanked you for what you've already done, but what you're going to do today, dear Lord. I thank you and I give you praise in your son Jesus' name. Amen. The name of my message today is The Handwriting is on the Wall. The Handwriting is on the Wall. How many of you love the Lord with all your heart? All your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. Raise your hands. Boy, that that looks good. Everybody loves the Lord. Everybody loves the Lord. I'll begin this message with a series of questions for you. Think back when you received the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Or even when you were in a real pickle. Financial, health-wise, or some kind of trouble. And he brought you out of it. Did you promise him anything? Like, I will serve you till the day I die? 
for where you send me, Lord, I'll go. Or I will never let you down. Or I'll never do that again. How has that worked out for you? Did you live up to your promise to him? On another hand, did you do things you wanted to do for Christ instead of what God called you to do for him? We should do what God has called us to do for him, not just what we want to do or how we want to do it. Obedience is better than sacrifice. He knows what is needed and he knows how to bring it all together. Amen. I'm going to follow up with another question. As a Christian, are you where you thought you'd be by now? At age 20, 30, 40, 60, 70, 80, 90, or 100, have you matured to the level you thought you should be uh, at this time? Are you mirroring Christ to the extent that you thought you would? And if not, why not? Only you Well, the Lord knows, but only you can answer that question if you're honest with yourself. Now, let's go to our key verse. Turn to John 3.16. Now, when the Lord gave me this title and then he gave me the verse, I said, how in the world did those go together? but we're going to try to make it work. That's right. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I know a lot of you know that by heart. Most of you, well, you should. There is probably no verse in the Bible that is better known than John 3.16. It was the first verse I learned in Sunday school. It clearly and simply told me the very reason and method by which I could be saved from eternal damnation. Because God loved the world to such a great extent that he gave his only begotten son to die on the cross for my sins so that I may one day go to heaven and be with him for all eternity. But as I read his word, tracing the history of mankind's behaviors, read secular history and witnessed and experienced the brazen arrogance, pride, and hate spewed daily in this world, It's a mystery to me that God would love us so much 
to send his only begotten son yeah. and that Jesus actually obeyed his father and came. Yeah. It's a mystery to me. It's yeah. a mystery to me. The Gospels show that the very people Jesus came to save rejected him at every turn. Both the Jewish and the Gentile authorities, in the name of political expediency, rejected him. But as Jesus was hanging on the cross, he asked the Father to forgive those who put him there, revealing the depth of his love for us. God fully giving his son as a substitute for us so that our sins would be pardoned. But God did not send his son to die on the cross for us to play with him by knowingly or deliberately misconstruing or misrepresenting his word in our own words or actions. Nor did he send his son to die for us that we might forget all the promises we made to him, ignore his commands and directions, or to be passive and just wait until he calls us home to glory. Uh, you know some people who just are waiting it out? If you think that because of the depth of God's love that after we become saved and receive forgiveness, we can sin as often as we want, when we want, and how we want. Or be as disobedient children and come and go as we please. You are mistaken. Our improper actions devalue the price Jesus paid for us and God's love that sent him to the tree. It's time to get ourselves together as children of God. As a member of his church, this nation, and this world. And if you haven't received Jesus as your Savior, please receive him now. God has made it so simple. Romans 10.9 tells us that if you confess with your mouth, the Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. This is God's promise to you if you accept Jesus. He will accept you for what whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's Romans 10, 13. I pray that anyone who has not accepted Jesus as Savior and Lord, that you will do it right now. For tomorrow is promised to no one. Now, let's take a look at the title of our message. The handwriting is on the wall, and we'll marry both John 3.16 and this title together. The handwriting on the wall is a familiar saying. It is, its origin began straight from the Bible in the book of Daniel, chapter 5. The story is famous, and the expression uh, is a warning of some kind of pending disaster or something that will change the course of events in one's life. We won't read the story from which this phrase came, but I encourage you to read it sometime this week for an in-depth understanding of the events that took place 
That's Daniel chapter 5. Okay. But to summarize the story, Belshazzar, the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar, was a ruler over the Babylonian Empire. In Daniel 5, we read that prideful Belshazzar held a royal feast for 1,000 of his nobles. No expense was spared for this lavish party. And with eating and drinking in excess, foolish things began to happen and foolish decisions were made. Have you ever been there, done that? One of the foolish decisions made by Belshazzar was to command that the holy vessels his grandfather Nebuchadnezzar took from Jerusalem, Jerusalem's temple some 70 years earlier be brought to the festivities to be used as serving vessels for him and his guests. Using the God of heaven and earth's sacred gold and silver goblets to serve wine to his drunken party to celebrate and praise their own pagan deities was an abomination. At God's appropriate time, supernaturally, the fingers of a man's hand began to write words on a palace wall in an unknown language for the king and all his guests to see. It read, many, many tekel upharsin. The king was stunned and bewildered, so much so that his body became limp and the frivolity immediately ceased. Everyone present sobered up quickly, for the king became greatly troubled. The king could not understand the words on the wall and needed someone to interpret them. He even offered a handsome reward for anyone who could, but there was no one to be found. Enter the queen mother. She informs the king that he should call for the Hebrew Daniel, who had been enslaved when he was a teenager by Nebuchadnezzar some 70 years ago. Daniel was now about 90. The faithful Daniel was brought in, and he spoke for his God. He told the king to keep the reward that had been offered to the one who would interpret the words. He then reviewed the king's history and heritage and told Belshazzar he had fallen into the same category as his grandfather, the prideful Nebuchadnezzar. Do you know of someone who's fallen into the same category as their predecessor? He then reviewed the king's heritage. He reminded Belshazzar that God had set up Nebuchadnezzar and God brought him down. That you, his son, had not humbled yourself and you have not given honor to the Most High God. Belshazzar could not plead ignorant. He knew all this. He was without excuse. In other words, Daniel rebuked Belshazzar and charged him with premeditated sin. Premeditated sin. Because Belshazzar knew Babylon's history, but chose to ignore it and did not honor God. After the rebuke, Daniel revealed to the king 
and his audience the message. And it was interpreted as God has numbered your kingdom and finished it. You have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and Persians. And that's found in Daniel 5, 25 through 26. And this came to pass. That very night, the Medo-Persian army came for him. As he parted, unbeknownst to him, the Medes and the Persian soldiers worked their way under the towering walls of the city and made their way to the palace. Killed Belshazzar, captured his kingdom, and divided it among the Medo-Persian Empire. 539 B.C. Mark the end of the Babylonian Empire. God's judgment had come. Isn't it ironic how man can build his proud empire and in a moment God can bring it down along with the man. The God who made him, who made Belshazzar, is the one who held his breath Belshazzar's breath in his hand. Now, what does that have to do with us? And the key verse that all of us knows, John 3.16. How could we as an individual and as a nation know John 3.16 through and through? Say that we love the Lord with all of our being and still think the things we think, do the things we do, neglect the things we ought to do and act the way we act. 1 Samuel 2 and 3 says, uh, talk no more so proudly. Let no arrogance come from your mouth for the Lord is the God of knowledge and and by him Actions are weighed. Let me say that again because my, my tongue got, it, it, it kind of slowed down. And by him, actions are weighed. God is looking and he's weighing and he is numbering and he is dividing. And we think we can continue in our mess without any consequences. But the handwriting is on the wall. And here we are, his children, who know the word that has been taught. We've been encouraged to live the word and to share it with others. As Belshazzar, we know the history of those that have gone before us. We know. We know. Yes, we know. We have seen. Yes, we have seen. But many times we ignore. And yet we continue to err by commission or omission, just as they erred, and we are sometimes even worse. James 4.17 tells us that any person who knows what what is right to do but does not do it 
to him it is sin. We are responsible and accountable to God. We as part of this world, as part of this nation, as part of this community, as part of this church family, are accountable for our actions. Have you ever admonished yourself by saying, I should be on the sin that so easily besets me by now. I should be beyond that. I should be living the abundant life Christ died to give me by now. I should reach out to my neighbor by now. After 10, 20 years that they've lived there and you've never said a word to them. And on and on and on, you fill in the blank. In Mark 12, 28 through 31, one of the scribes asked Jesus, which is the first commandment of all? And Jesus answered him, the first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all their mind, our mind and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is like, yeah. Now, the, see, the, 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 the scribe just asked for the first. Right. But the Lord said, look, the second is important, too. Let me, let me just put this together for you. The second is like, namely this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. Love the Lord. Love thy neighbor as thyself. And the scribe said unto him, and I like what the scribe said, Well, master, thou hast said the truth. For there is is one God, and there is none other but he. And to love him with all the heart, and with all the understanding, and with all the soul, and with all the strength, And to love his neighbor as himself is more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. If you don't love the Lord and don't love your neighbor, why give your sacrifices? Why? Think about that. What in these verses is difficult to comprehend? What don't we understand about the scripture? These verses should guide everything we do in life and say as we interact with our fellow men. It should also guide all that we think. Now that goes deep. Because we can think things and act another way. Act so nice, but we're thinking something that is contrary to how we're acting. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. We say that we know this scripture. We say we understand it to the point of accepting Jesus as Savior and Lord. But like Belshazzar, we ignore what has taken place before us. 
that Christ died to save us from this mess. And we run right back to the state we once left. Belshazzar knew what happened, but did not heed it. He went back also. Being prideful has become desirable. And we choose to hate rather than love. Hear what I said. We choose to hate rather than love. We become insensitive to the needs of others. We have become disobedient at every turn. Colossians 3, verses 1 through 8. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on this earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Let me say that again. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth. Fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. But now you yourselves are to put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. You can lay it down if you want to. You are responsible for what you do and think. You, and and I'm including myself in that, we've got the Holy Spirit residing in us. So we can do it. With all that is happening in the world, if you are a child of God and you are in the will of God, you can be calm and ride through the storms of life. Let me read that again. With all that is happening in the world, if you are a child of God and you are in the will of God, you can be calm and ride through the storms of life. But for the rest of you, or rest of us, who are not in the will of God, you should seek him. The scripture, 1 Chronicles 7.14, is a good scripture to be winding down this message. It says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. 
If. If. This brings to mind last year, there was a march on Washington by groups of Christians from all over the country with very prominent religious leaders. One of the prominent leaders, uh, religious political leaders, quoted this scripture, but I believe strategically left out the phrase and turn from your wicked ways. Maybe this was an inadvertent omission on his part, but it's the key thing we must do before God will intervene on our behalf. We have to turn from our wicked ways. Spanish philosopher George Santayana is credited with the aphorism, those who cannot remember the past or are condemned to repeat it. While British statesman Winston Churchill wrote, those who fail to learn from history are doomed to repeat it. Unfortunately, like Belshazzar, we as a nation are very much aware of our history, ignore it or fail to learn from it. Therefore, we continue to repeat it. As I read over the story of Daniel, I mused that what happened to him and thousands of Israelites sounded very familiar. Wicked King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon took free men and women who were the best and the brightest of Israel, stole them away to a foreign land called Babylon and made them slaves. The Bible and secular literature tells about this story in detail. And we teach it in Sunday school and vacation Bible school all the time. Daniel is the one is one of the major people we teach about in depth. Every child in Sunday school knows about him. What the wicked Babylonians did to him and how he stood courageous and for righteousness and used his gifts that God had given him even in a foreign land. Fast forward thousands of years later, America did the same. People came from the New World with slave traders and sailed to Africa to seek the best and the brightest, stole them from their families and homeland, traveled across an ocean so they dare not try to return, bound them, whipped them, chopped off the feet of those who would dare try to run away hanged them, defiled their women, and sold off their children, tried to keep them ignorant and demeaned them for being unlearned. After over 200 years later, when people want to teach this very truth in American history, in the classrooms all over the nation, we have staunch objection to that. Can't tell that type of history to our children, but we can teach about Daniel and the Hebrew boys in church. That's safe. The message of judgment is clear. The handwriting is on the wall. On another front, let's turn to the earth that God created and we have abused um, by not taking care of it. There's no longer just earthquakes and tsunamis occurring. It's fires and floods and mega hurricanes and tornadoes in unexpected places 
and seasons of the year. The arctics are, mes- are, are melting. Signs of the seasons are becoming interchangeable. Sinkholes forming more often, buildings collapsing, rioting and brazen looting everywhere. Denials, hate, greed, and telling a lie rather than telling the truth is the norm and encouraged. The handwriting is on the wall. For not only this nation, for not only this world, but also for us as individuals. Because each individual makes up a nation. And each nation makes up the world. In other words, it all begins with you and me. For God so loved the world. Think long and hard on what you told the Lord you would do for him when you accepted him as Lord and Savior. After you thought on on it long and hard, do it. For God has a purpose and a plan for us to honor his son on this earth. It's time. No, it's past time. Because church folks have not been true to their word to God. Our families, our nation, and our world are in in this state that they are in today because of it. Each of us has a different message on the wall. All we have to do is look and see. Ask the Holy Spirit to interpret it for you and make the changes that you need to make while you still have time. The enemy is waiting anxiously to breach the walls of your life. Amen? That's it. Amen. Hallelujah. I pray that you take that message.